This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. No, I'm just saying 21 and 21 is on. Oh, hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker. Welcome back. It's Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. As you may have heard from me absolutely pretending to talk to someone else, you know I live alone by now. This is the first show of 2021. Hello. It's nice to be back. We're recording straight after Manchester United's derby defeat in the League Cup semi-final. That's less nice. But something I'm always enjoyable for is the return of my co-host. Joining me is my fellow United beat writer for The Athletic, Mr. Laurie. Oh, hi, Laurie. How are you doing? I'm all right, Carl. Yeah, uh, obviously it wasn't the best result tonight, but a decent match to watch. Uh, even though I described it as, as as turning into dross at half time on Twitter and got a load of pelters, uh, just at the moment as Roy Keane and, and Michael Richards were uh, praising what what an end to end thrilling game it was. So I, I don't know. I was watching something slightly different to them at least, and everyone else. I think the last Manchester derby that everyone said yeah. was boring, you said was fun, <laughs> and then we get this Manchester derby that was yeah. absolutely thrilling, and you're like, eh. Well, no, it was it was just that the way it ended the first half. That was kind of what I was getting at. But listen, yeah, I, I agree. I think I was in a minority of one there. So, uh, yeah, I, I saw Andy's tweet afterwards and, and he was very much enjoying it as well. Speaking of, he's the editor of United We Stand. He covers Manchester United for The Athletic as a contributing writer. He is somewhere in the world now. Um, to those that remember playing the game and the cartoon, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? It's Where in the World is Andy Mitten. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Hi, Carl. Hi, Laurie. I'm, uh, I saw your tweet before preparing for what clothes you were going to wear at a freeze in Old Trafford. And at that time, I'm packing stuff ready to do free games this weekend and be, being a complete lightweight because I'm petrified about standing at Villa Park, Old Trafford and Marine in minus three or minus four temperatures for five hours. Everton was bad enough when we did the last podcast. And one of the other journalists said to me, it's not natural to stand outside for five and a half hours in December. And I thought that he had a good point there. So, a bit disappointed, as Laurie said, with with the the result more than the performance against Manchester City. I did I did think the first half was a decent game. I thought it was much more disappointing in the second game. But I was asked before the match for a prediction, and I said I'd be pleasantly surprised if Manchester United won. I don't think they're quite at City's level yet. But look what's happened since we last spoke on the twenty third of December. Manchester United. Have, have, I've had a really good run. The defeat against City was the first in seven games. So probably disappointment in my voice at the moment, but I think it's got to be put into the bigger picture. And it's been a pretty decent time for United lately. We will be putting things into the bigger picture on this episode. Coming up, we're going to reflect on this defeat in the League Cup, as well as look ahead to Manchester United's FA Cup tie against Watford on the Saturday. 
Uh, of course, it's January, which means we're going to be talking about loads of things, including the transfer window. We might even have the return of the Sancho section. And we'll be talking about 21 and 21, whether or not it's on. But before we get started, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, then throughout January, you can subscribe for a special discounted price. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts for less than £4 a month. Just go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up. That's the athletic.com slash manunitedpod. Now, Manchester United nil, Manchester City 2. Uh, I've just come back from a very, very cold Old Trafford watching this game. Uh, it was an absolutely thrilling opening half hour. Uh, to borrow a term from one of my friends, Musa Gwanga, the game was played as if everyone was running downhill because it's just helter-skelter stuff. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has got three victories over Pep Guardiola and they tend to go through uh, 20 minutes of him trying to contain City, then 20 minutes of trying to counter-attack. United tend to do well when they get the first goal and then they have the second half where they try and contain, control and close out. This was just... Madness. Laurie, you watched this on television. What did you say? Yeah, I, I saw the same as you, Carl. I mean, and, and also, are you okay now? You thawed out because it was, as Andy <laughs> said, it's a long list that you, you had and it was, it was right that you needed to, to furnish yourself with such layers in the cold Manchester air. You okay now? I'm getting there. I can't feel my feet. I can feel my hands. Good. Well, that's a good way around to be, I suppose. Um, yeah, no, I saw it the same way as you in the you know the first instance of it. I thought it was really interesting, really engaging as, as a game. Kind of like how I saw the, the, the first derby. You know, I know, again, I was in a minority with that. We're thinking that was quite an entertaining game. Um, but I thought towards the end of the first half, United were not... They were getting into good opportunities, but then choosing the wrong option. I thought Bruno in particular was trying too hard to do the difficult pass rather than just be a bit more composed and, and take a touch and then play the ball. It felt a little bit rushed towards the end of that first half. And, and I did enjoy the, the pace of the game, certainly. Um, and it felt like it was two good teams going at it rather than City dominating and United holding on, which, you know, as we know, it has been um, in, in previous times um, in, when these two teams meet. Um, but yeah, I just I felt there was, there was opportunities for United to, to get at City. And, and listen, overall... Uh, John Stones and Ruben Diaz had a really good game uh, in central defence. I think they got toes to things at just right moments when it felt like United maybe just about to, to slip in. Um, I was a bit disappointed with Anthony Marshall overall, actually. I thought he tried to get involved in the game, but then a lot of his efforts felt a bit weak, um, which I know is a kind of a persistent problem, um, or at least an accusation of his. Um, I felt like maybe, you know, if Edison Cavani had been available, I'm sure he would have been introduced and could have given City something different to think about. Uh, so, yes, I suppose I see it as a missed chance overall. Like I say, enjoyable game. City scored through two, you know, set pieces, basically, albeit uh, Dean Henderson pulled off a brilliant save um, to that rear Mara shot, which I think, you know, I thought it was going in. I don't know what it looked like live, but on, on the television, it looked like it was a certain goal. So for him to sort of ping it over the bar uh, was a pretty breathtaking moment. And then they slowed it down and think, oh, it's a regulation save. But I think you need to appreciate those kind of moments in the live action. You know, the, the speed of the, of the reaction is, um, is is quite something to behold. So, uh, yeah, but, I, you know, disappointed. A fourth semi-final going out. It's, it is a something that Solskjaer, does need to go overcome. Um, I know it might sound a bit like it's just coincidence and, and listen, getting to those semi-finals in the first place is, is not bad. You know, they've obviously beaten decent teams along the way in difficult circumstances. It's clearly going to become uh, a bit of an albatross around the team's neck if they don't manage to go beyond that stage in a competition fairly soon. 
it felt a little bit like Al Pacino's speech in any any given Sunday, the way Solskjaer spoke ahead of the game. He spoke a lot about the fine margins and that how United need to get better inch by inch. This is now the fourth semi-final he's lost. It's the fourth League Cup final in a row Pep Guardiola is going to reach to. Andy, what do you think Manchester United need to make that jump and go from semi-finalists to a finalist? To continue the progress and probably to bring in two or three or even four players. I was struck when somebody, for a joke, uh, tweeted the United team before the game, but they very cleverly tweeted the one from a year ago. So it looked like it was the official United account doing it. And I thought, oh my, this is a surprise. And then when I looked closely, I saw clearly Andreas Pereira has gone on loan to Lazio and you know, it just took a, a little second. But when I thought about it, I thought United have improved significantly since a year ago. And that improvement has got to continue because City City did, did deserve to win, as they did uh, last season. United have got to be better than the semi-finals team. They've got to be winning trophies. Oli needs a trophy. The League Cup would have given a big lift to the players, to the fans, if fans were allowed to go to Wembley, would have been a day out to look forward to. And United are about winning trophies. I think winning trophies is more important than finishing in the top four just to get money in the Champions League to then go out to a team who we're still not going to mention, despite it being a month since that game in the east of Germany. And I think Oli knows the positions he wants to improve. I think United needed a, a centre-forward tonight. I thought Cavani would have made a difference. And clearly Cavani's not the long-term option um, for, for United. I agree with Laurie. I thought Martial disappointed. And when he went down and sort of appealed for a penalty, that wasn't his finest hour. I think there's certain areas of the pitch where United are looking strong at, at left-back. I've really liked Luke Shaw this season. It's good that Dean Henderson can come in. Do you know and, six and, foot and one? Do well. Look sure that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's really interesting because he just looks like he's he's five foot one, not six foot one, but he is six <laughs> foot one. Yeah, Cancelo certainly realised he was six <laughs> foot one, didn't he? When uh, yeah. he got a, a shoulder barge, and I loved the way he just you know just coolly did not react to, to obviously Cancelo going, you know, obviously pushed the wrong buttons there, didn't he? Um, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I agree with you, Andy. I think he's he's played really well this season. I think there's a couple of more positions where. United need that that right wing, right midfield. Call it what you will. I think that is that is still a position. As um, Mason Greenwood continues his improvement, is still very young. Um, the midfield. I think Pogba's had a decent month. Um, and a month ago, we were saying that his United career looked completely shot. Um, Fernandez clearly a top player, but the top top players have got to be match winners in the biggest games against the best teams. And it's the fine margins, and Ollie's right there. But when you lose four on the bounce, then you think it's also a limitation of the team because mm. it's four it's four straight defeats. And I made a point in a piece I did for the Athletic that the three semi final defeats last year, um, United looked well short in all of them. And I was probably wrong in saying that because the severe game United did actually have have chances, but. City had, had won that game last year in the first half at Old Trafford. United didn't turn up against Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final. And then uh, tonight against against City, it was the, the best bit was the first half. United just 
on no grounds can United say that they deserved anything from that game tonight and that's what makes it disappointing. After the game, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was asked a little bit about those fine margins and what United need to do to get better. And he ummed and ahed and eventually came to an answer of, we just need to get better. I did ask him also what his approach would be against Watford in the FA Cup on Saturday. Uh, and he gave purse lips, said it's accomplishing what to take seriously, but also he had to see what options he have available to him on Thursday and Friday. Andy, as our trophies guru, would it be beneficial for Manchester United to take the FA Cup seriously? Absolutely, um, as it was to take the League Cup seriously and to get to the semi-final and to beat decent teams like Brighton away and Everton away. They were good results and they're helping in, in the progression. They're, they're giving players a chance. You know, Dean Henderson had kept clean sheets in the competition until that City game. It's important that players, and there's a big squad and it's a big squad which has avoided serious injury so far, which can't be taken for granted this season. And it's going to be needed because the United are five games behind in the league at the same stage of last season. The Europa League's got more games than than the Champions League and there's still the FA Cup. I absolutely think United should go all out to win the FA Cup, should take the Europa League seriously. The squad is big enough um, to do that. And I think he's, he's managed it pretty well so far. Um, clearly the league... It, it's a priority, but as I'm saying that, I don't expect Manchester United uh, to win the league. And I'm finding being part of a title race really exciting because it hasn't happened for eight years. And I'm starting to like watch Liverpool out the corner of my eye and celebrate when West Brom equalise against them or Southampton go ahead against them. And that that's exciting. Football should do stuff like that. And I'm looking forward to... Watching United compete at the top, but deep down, I don't think United will win the league. I think improvement has got to be, you know, 10 more points better than last season and United are on target for that. But to do that and win the FA Cup would make it a successful season. Just to finish third or fourth again and not with anything, mm, you start getting a few uh, muted reactions there. Laurie, what's your opinion on this? I think he'll rotate, won't you? I think that's a sensible thing to do. Um, but I think that is necessary because you've got players there that clearly want to play obviously you know we, we had the uh, team sheet drop and the questions Donny van der Beek uh, were brought up again you know it's sort of like a recurring thing so I think he'll start I think you've got other players in the squad that probably need a bit of time so I can see a bit of a mix and match I mean Harry Maguire will play because he plays every single game but um, <laughs> yeah I think it would be a case of, of, of trying to you know because I don't think he can go full strength because you've got Burnley away on Tuesday then Liverpool um, away and those are two massive games you know if they if they obviously beat Burnley they go into that game at Anfield um, clear at the top of the table which feels like a huge uh, mental moment um, and I think that should you have to weigh that into the Watford selection um, that being said clearly you know they don't want to be going out to Watford so it'll need to be a team that, that can get through um, but yeah I think I'm, I'm I'm more looking at the Premier League as as the focus for United particularly after going out in the League Cup I think you know trophy such as the League Cup would have been a really good um, sort of milestone for Solskjaer to, to claim and the fact that they haven't done that I think now you know, the adjustment to the league because the Europa League will only be a competition that you can look at once they get into the latter stage of it. You know, the Champions League perhaps would have been an equal balance with the Premier League. So I think now you've got, not got the League Cup, FA Cup, you've got a team in the Championship that they should be beating. Um, yeah, I think they kind of need to balance the team and, and look ahead um, for the for the Burnley and Liverpool games. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It is the FA Cup on Saturday, and I would expect Donny van der Beek to get more than the five-minute cameo he got today. bit strange substitution there for me. But, nevertheless, let's talk about some nice things. Manchester United are... Now listen to the sound of my voice. Joint top <laughs> with Liverpool. Uh, tied on points. Uh, after a fantastic run over the Christmas break, victory over Aston Villa, a decent draw against Leicester City, loads of goals, loads of great performances. Laurie, is it on? I think you have to consider United as, as genuine contenders. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, like Andy, uh, I'm more cautious just because clearly this is a new thing for this squad and you've got to go with the teams that have done it before. Liverpool and Man City are both stopped with players that have won uh, the title. You know, United, you're looking at David De Gea. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of any others that are still remaining. I mean, Phil Jones, I suppose, but obviously you wouldn't really count him as part of the team. So, yeah, listen, United are, but, but they are in the mix, you know, and being, I mean, jo- joint top, I, I'm, I think United fans are obviously enjoying the, the, the sense of that, but <laughs> Um, they obviously are second, you know, uh, goal difference, you know, if joint top was a thing in 2012, then uh, I'm sure, you know, we have 13.5 Premier League titles for Sir Alex. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, it's it's a feeling that is uh, sort of alien to the, to the team, to fans um, for a long time. You know, I know that Jose Mourinho had the team... Um, you know, up near the top to begin with in, in the 2017-18 season, but City pulled away fairly swiftly and then it was always a chasing uh, game. Uh, Louis van Gaal was top, wasn't he, in 2015, but he never really felt, it, it was a bit frantic, it, it never quite had that momentum behind it. So you feel like they've actually got a, a good mode about them. Um, you know, I thought the Villa performance was really impressive. Um, I was actually a bit disappointed with the point at Leicester just because of the way that they'd, created the chances and, and they obviously led late on and I felt like that could have been a real statement victory and I think if you are going to win the title they need they need to have those kind of moments and listen maybe Liverpool Anfield maybe that is the moment and you know if you go there and win then then you really are thinking about it I remember covering Leicester in the 2015-16 season and 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 that that win that they had at the end they had the 3-1 win when they played really well, everyone suddenly went, okay, they're serious now. I think United are probably a little bit further along than they were back then um, in terms of people's you know, ideas of them winning the, the, the title. But I think they still need that kind of statement victory to, to really solidify that. Um, uh, but yeah, no, definitely involved. Uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about sort of transfers perhaps in the next little bit, but you know, maybe if they if they go and, and, and make a, a signing to real really boost the team, boost the squad, give them that injection. Obviously, you know, I think we'd be looking uh, very fortunate <laughs> to have anywhere near the kind of January signing that Bruno Fernandez was. Um, but but I, you can feel that there's maybe an opportunity there to, to get somebody else in and, and and give them a little bit of a boost for the second half of the season. I'm enjoying saying it's on. 
and making jokes as if it's on just to rile up my friends who support other top six clubs. <laughs> You've just said there previously. <laughs> it's 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 really fun to say because it's been a while. It's been a long time. This is the first time. Well, United haven't been properly top for two years and three months last time I checked. Um, so, But I promised everyone when Manchester United are good again and competing for titles again properly, I'm going to be insufferable. So Andy, I'm going to ask you right now, how long do you think United can stay in this title race for? I think they can stay in it as long as the other teams continue to drop points. I'm more worried about Ooh. City than Liverpool at the moment. I didn't expect United to be in it. It is the first time United, I think, have genuinely been involved in a a title race since 2013. United did go top briefly in November 15 and collapsed almost straight away after that, going out to Wolfsburg, then losing three consecutive league games. When United went out of the Champions League to another team in Germany, we're not going to mention, they've responded by playing really well and moving up the table. And I've had decent results against decent sides. I agree with Laurie about that Leicester game. Shame United couldn't win, but that shows the progress and the rising expectations. I don't know any United fans who are getting carried away saying the 21st title's coming uh, this year. I think there's a lot of realism. I think people are just enjoying actually being in a title race because even though Jose Mourinho's side got 81 points in 2018... The title race was over by by October. Mm-hmm. United finished 32 and 33 points behind the champions in each of the last two seasons. As we speak today, Manchester United are better placed than any other team in the Premier League. If the season ended today and it was worked out on a points per game average, Manchester United would be champions. Clearly no one wants this to, this to happen because <coughs> the football is... All right, be great, end it now. <laughs> <laughs> the football's quite quite enjoyable, even in stadiums where where there's there's no fans and it's clearly not the same. And I think Laurie made a point a few weeks ago. Imagine what it would be like being in a Stratford end when Marcus Rashford scored that late winner against Wolves. You can almost do your head in by thinking, "What if?" But I think United are, are continuing to improve. This title race is a bonus. I think they've got to get substantially more points than last season and continue the general improvement. There will be more setbacks along the way. But as long as the recruitment continues to be decent, the, the team continues to be strengthened, then it's going to, United are going to be getting closer to where the team should be, which is Premier League winners. Or we might just have a freak season. You know, freak results are happening this season. Aston Villa scored seven against Liverpool. Manchester United conceded six against Tottenham. Just a bit worried. I've said it twice now. I'm a bit worried about City because they've had some great results. But United are still above Manchester City in the table and have held their own against top teams. If we can go at Wanfield and avoid defeat and play well, because United didn't actually play that badly last year, and that was the last time the team lost an away game, um, then I think it's looking pretty decent. I'll tell you what... You just you did remind me Manchester United beat Wolves. I completely memory hold that game, such was its strange quality. Laurie, I cut you off there when we were getting really excited about that potential title race and being smug to our mates. Is there anything you want to add? It just reminded me when when you mentioned 
about um, winding up your mates um, or sort of at least being tongue-in-cheek with it all. It reminded me of when England, you know, were going ahead in the World <laughs> Cup and football's coming home became a kind of ironic... Was it ironic? Did people start believing it? That that tip, that balance between, you know, sort of self-deprecation but then genuine belief. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awkward feeling to have inside you, isn't it? Because you kind of want it to, to remain as something that you can palm off as, as a joke. But actually, you know, when it gets closer, obviously you know takes on a, a realistic hue and uh yeah i don't know when that moment comes for united i guess we'll see after the anfield game <laughs> i will say the world cup it's coming home was ironic until after the penalties against colombia and then it became a yeah. genuine thought once england beat sweden yeah, yeah that's a good shout harry Maguire was really good in that world cup just gonna say that there anyway it's time thanks to the magic of podcasting to bring us to the transfer section Laurie, you've done a great piece of sensible transfers over the Christmas break, and you've had a little bit of a, a little bit of report over a certain Moses Cancedo. What's been going on there? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. This, I mean, so obviously I had no idea who he was uh, before he was um, sort of mentioned in South American reports. Uh, looked into it a little bit. There's definitely interest there. Um, United have asked uh, Antonio Valencia his opinion. It sounds like the obvious thing to do, doesn't it? You know, ask a guy who is from that country, um, Ecuador, what his opinion is. Um, but I I do, you know, it's only one part of the strand. You know, I've obviously got scouting reports um, and various other ways of finding out about the player. And I've had a look myself and he does, he looks quite, comfortable you know 19 year old central midfield he's got four caps for Ecuador he scored for Ecuador uh, you know in a proper game you know against um, you know a Uruguayan team that had um, you know serious players in it Diego Godin for one um, so he looks like he's, he's you know a, a really good prospect um, but uh, United are well United sources sorry are sort of urging caution on it um, just saying that there is some way to go I think there's some reports in South America that are saying that he you know, deal's done, you know, no problem uh, and it's just a matter of time. I think it's a little bit more difficult than that. I think there's, uh, you know, a number of agents sort of acting on his behalf. So that's perhaps why we're getting a few more uh, reports about him. You know, I realise I'm pot kettle black because I've written a report about him. Uh, but I think uh, that is also a sort of an obstacle for United to just ascertain who has the mandate for him, what the actual price will be. Um, so, yeah, but he, is, he looks an interesting player. So, yeah, perhaps I would, I would mark that down as well want to watch certainly and they want to talk to you about this because uh, Solskjaer has now consulted Antonio Valencia about Canseda he's consulted Diego Forlan about Pelestri is it common for a football manager to consult former players and alumni for transfer signings or is this something that is one of Solskjaer's particular quirks as it were it's common and I think it makes good sense Ollie played in a, a top Manchester United team with footballers whose opinions he respects and the analysts and the scouts might throw up a player like Palestre for example but I think it would be a mistake if he didn't call Palestre's manager who happens who happened to be Forlan who he got on really well with spoke to him for 35 minutes asked him about the type of player he was and and I've spoke to Diego about that conversation and Ollie was asking him uh, about his personality and Diego was saying he speaks English for example and that's not a given for a player from South America he went to a good school he's from a good family he's an intelligent boy uh, these are the areas of his game which he needs to improve on and armed with that knowledge having that will help you make a better judgment 
when he wanted to sign Juan Basaka, he was doing detailed um, phone calls with other uh, with people who he knew um, who, who knew Juan Basaka. And again, I think it's it's due diligence because Ollie's rightly praised for for broadly doing well in the in the transfer market, and he'd be rightly criticised if he bought a load of duff players. If you spend him. 10, 20, 30, 40 million pounds on something, I think you should get as much information as you can because ultimately the analyst can put a player forward um, or the scouts can, but it's going to be on the manager. The manager has the final say and it makes decent sense. Now, he might speak to Antonio Valencia and and get one opinion, but it won't be the only opinion there. And uh, as with Laurie... Um, I've been told that there's numerous agents um, claiming to represent the player. United scouted him. There were talks. Those talks didn't go any further. They might go further uh, again. And this is what happens when you've got several people claiming a mandate on a player. But I, I've been told that, you know, Ollie has spoke to um, as many people around all the signings that he's made. And I think that I think that that's a smart move. It is a smart move. Uh, we will have a piece on Aaron Wan-Bissaka and his interesting position at Manchester United coming up in the weeks to come. Because, Laurie, I think Manchester United might be in the market for a right-back this January. You've set me up nicely there, Carl. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to do perhaps another piece on who they might be looking at um, after your Aaron Wan-Bissaka piece, which um, sounds like a really good one. Um, because, yeah, I think what they're looking for is a right-back like uh, Alex Talese. It has uh, sort of challenged Luke Shaw, and you can see, as Andy's mentioned earlier, I think Luke Shaw's really come on again, uh, obviously, like he did with Brandon Williams last season, having that guy breathing down his neck, and he's, he's sort of forward passes, his crossing, he's obviously taking dead balls now. Luke Shaw uh, has really improved with having Talese there as a, a sort of rival and United need that and want that on the right-back slot. Um, Wan-Bissaka is brilliant, as we all know, one-on-one -on -one defending. Does he offer um, as much as United would need going forwards? I, I know that I'm speaking after he put in a good cross for Anthony Marshall against um, Aston Villa. So, you know, maybe um, the search doesn't need to be too extensive. But I think they would like to have uh, perhaps an older, more established right back um, come in and just give him a bit of a challenge, whether that happens in January. But I think I think maybe January could be the month for that. You know, that's what I'm sort of wondering. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to collect my thoughts on that and, and hopefully we'll have a piece on that in the, in the time to come soon. Um, perhaps one other um, point actually to make on transfers for this month is just one on Deo Upamecano. I don't think we've mentioned um, him on the podcast um, since uh, we got the news. David Ornstein first reported that United were actually stepping away from a pursuit of him. I know we've reported previously that they've been interested and that certainly was the case. Um, but I think more scouting reports have come in and they've not wholly been conclusive in um, saying that United should go for him um, as an option at centre-back. Um, I think there's some questions about, it sounds a bit curious, some of the comments in the piece that I wrote where I mentioned his mobility um, were, were kind of um, calling me up on this. Um, you know, I'm just reporting what I'm being told, but I think it's more about his um, sort of movement uh, against speed coming at him, as, as we saw with Marcus Rashford, you know, in the, in the Champions League um, when RB Leipzig, I've mentioned them, sorry, uh, came to Old Trafford. Uh, they weren't, he, he didn't, he didn't seem to, he's obviously very, quick you know from a standing start and in straight lines but maybe that mobility laterally is, isn't quite there that, that United would need 
So they've stepped away from that pursuit. Um, so that's one that you, you won't be expecting to see at Old Trafford anytime soon. One player we do know is going to Old Trafford soon and we know is coming is Armand Diallo, the young Ivorian player from Atalanta. He recently uploaded a photograph on his Instagram going to a private jet as he was headed towards Rome to the Ivorian embassy so he could finally get his work permit completed and he can complete his signing to Manchester United. He's a really interesting player in so much that he's only played four senior games for Atalanta so far. He's got less than 35 minutes for Atalanta so far this season. Atalanta have tried their best to keep him on loan for the rest of this season, but Manchester United have been quite insistent on bringing him in this January and possibly putting him straight into the senior team. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been quite coy about where he'll integrate Jarlo, but it looks as if he might not spend as much time in the 23s as much as Palestri. I'm going to be doing a little bit of research on Diallo, uh, both looking at the tactical X's and O's stuff about him and hopefully some of his early years. Uh, my recent phone calls to some football academies in the Ivory Coast have come up interesting so far. What I can tell you right now is the boy likes to dribble. He tends to pick the ball up around about the halfway line. He doesn't mind taking the ball with his back towards goal, spinning a defender, driving towards the box. He also crosses rather than makes later rivals to shoot. So if he can work in conjunction with Aaron Wan-Bissaka, that could open up some more attacking prospects for this Manchester United side. Uh, Andy, do you think there's any position right now, if I gave you 30 million right now, I won't go off and uh, buy, sort out a position for Manchester United. Not a player, because we don't want to start any brand new transfer rumours, but a position. Uh, where do you think United should be going shopping? Right at the top, but... I think that you can't block the path for, for Palestre. Perhaps the obvious one is the right back. And maybe when uh, Ollie was talking to Antonio Valencia, it wasn't actually about the voices. <laughs> it was actually about bringing Valencia back. I'm only joking there. Next thing you'll see on social media, Antonio Valencia is coming back as the experienced right back. Um, I think that the right back is is uh, for the two in every position. Um, so that that is the obvious one. Um I just think on the right, in front of that right back, it, it is a position which um, is probably the least certain at the moment. I think Greenwood um, will play there. Uh, Matters sort of play. Is I can't see him having a medium term uh, future there. Um, Palestre, Adama. Um, so that that that's the one doubtful area. Had we spoken a month ago, we might have said central defender. I've been impressed with Eric Bailly recently. I thought it was unlucky not to start against City. Against City itself, I thought United needed a centre-forward, but that man for this season is Edinson uh, Cavani. Um, so that, that, that that's about it. For 30 million, who are you going to get? That's a tough one. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's also been another movement at Manchester United this week, uh, that of Darren Fletcher joining the coaching team. Andy, have you spoken to Darren before? Yeah, I spoke to him on Thursday, actually, for 
a, a piece which we did in the Athletic on the 2010 semi-finals, and I spoke to him over the years. I, I like him. I get on with him. I got an apology for him last night for not telling me that he was going to go permanent with United, <laughs> <laughs> which which he didn't need to tell me um, at all. I knew he'd been doing some coaches there, coaching with the under-16s. The main thing is um, I think he's a good addition. I think he's a, he's a really bright, tactical, obsessive. And one of the things he said to me, which wasn't in the article, was he struggles to watch games as a fan because he's so obsessed about the tactical side. And I remember interviewing him 10 years ago and thinking, this is the second best interview we've, we've ever had in United We Stand from a player. I have it on good authority. Darren Fletcher is a stats nerd. He very much knows where XG is and likes the statistical output. Um, Laurie, you wrote a piece about his integration to the backroom stuff. What do you think he's going to bring to the Manchester United right now? Well, I think he's got that. He's been a part of squads that have won things. So naturally, you've got an, an inbuilt ability to um, understand what it takes to, to you know, lift trophies, win silverware, get over the line in, in, in situations such as, I suppose, you know, the semi-final tonight. Um, he's been a part of that, you know, at the highest level in Champions League. And obviously, uh, in 2009, um, you know, if he hadn't got sent off, you know, would United's final have been different? You know, we don't know. I still maintain uh, maybe United that, would have won still... if he'd started. I'm wrong. Okay, well, there we go. I'm wrong, but <laughs> I, I maintain. It would, have, it would have been an interesting question. Yeah, I think that's a fair, listen, that's a fair assumption to make. Um, uh, but I think also, as Andy said, he's very intelligent. I, I covered uh, West Brom when he was there um, at the club and they were sort of blown away really by the commitment that he had, the way he would talk to the younger players around um, the training ground, the inf- advice and influence that he gave to people. Obviously, he's come back from a really difficult, debilitating illness and you know continued his career beyond that and, and was a very um you know exemplary player for, for West Brom um didn't go too well at Stoke I don't think but you know nevertheless that's still an experience for him to draw on uh, and I just think it's a smart move you know with Mark Dempsey going to the academy there was a gap there for, for Solskjaer and his coaching staff that he wanted to fill uh, and Darren Fletcher you know listen he's, he's at the start of his career we don't know exactly what kind of coach he'll be like but I think from what we've seen in his punditry from our own interactions with him I think the signs are positive. It sounds very good. Sounds like Ollie's getting the band back together and he's also got his mates in the phone book to help with future signings. Man United are joint top. Right, any other order of business? First things first, Andy Mitten's written a fantastic piece at the start of this week which basically explained how Manchester United went from being eh to being quite good. Andy, how did United go from so-so to pretty decent? Well, it took time and I don't think a lot of United fans wanted to hear about a cultural reboot, especially when... It was Ed Woodward who said, uh, talked about it in October 19 when the team were playing well. I think the fans are more um, predisposed to listen to it now that the, the form has been much better. United have just made decent appointments. Uh, I think Ollie is popular among the staff who feel that they can go and talk to him. And that wasn't always the case with Jose Mourinho. Jose was a decent bloke and he was a good manager and he is a good manager. But... Uh, Ollie is all about the team and United staff is massive now. They've got a lot of expertise there and what I put into that piece was several of the names which people don't really know and that's very deliberate. United don't want them to have a high profile. Jose Mourinho didn't want them to have any profile. Jose Mourinho asked that their names were not even on the official club website but the current 
United setup's a bit more relaxed and there's a lot of talented people there and it's easy to tell the story when those talented people are part of a winning team because when you tell it, when results are bad, people just don't want to wear it and they'll blame everybody because the team aren't winning. So uh, I think there's other factors there. Um, young players are maturing, they're getting more experienced. <laughs> I've got to say Bruno Fernandes because he's made a huge difference to Manchester United. And I think Ollie's doing a, a, a decent job as well. And the recruitment, the players that he's brought in, the youth system has had a lot of money put into it. I think you'll start seeing more uh, results from that coming through. Equally, I think it's really tough because other teams are doing this as well. Chelsea and City are putting a lot and have been putting a lot and have been far better uh, with their youth systems than Manchester United. Liverpool clearly have been the best team in England, the best team in Europe and even the best team in the world. So they're at a different stage in their, their cycle. But I'm pretty encouraged by what's been going on and re results have, have matched that. But I won't get carried away. And as I said earlier on, I don't think United will win the league this season. I like the fact you brought up Bruno Fernandes on his impact in 2020. Uh, one quick fact for you. In December, he picked up his sixth Player of the Month award for Manchester United out of a possible nine Player of the Months available to him since he turned up at the club. Laurie, you've got a great piece on the FA that's just gone live on today, which I'm going to say is Wednesday, which talks about Jack Grealish and a little bit about why Manchester United picked Donny van der Beek instead. Uh, van der Beek, again, like I mentioned earlier in the show, only got five minutes in the cameo and there are questions as to whether or not he is going to be a starting option for Manchester United this season. Tell me a little bit more about this piece. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it had a sort of jump off of the contrast of Jack Grealish um, putting in what I thought was a really impressive performance at Old Trafford against United for Aston Villa as the captain and Donny van der Beek uh, unused on the subs bench. Uh, and, and clearly, you know, he, he was again um, sort of only peripheral figure against Manchester City. Uh, asked Solskjaer about him in the press conference and he, he gave quite a, I feel like he was ready for a kind of question about van der Beek. He has been asked before. But it's been a few weeks since it's, he's been asked about him. But he, he had he had something that I felt was kind of in his mind to say, uh, which was basically, you know, he's not a failure. Look at uh, Fred. Look at um, Victor Lindelof as players that have improved over time. He's not going to come in and be a starter every week. He needs to adjust. Um, you know, I kind of I, I get on board with that. I mean, it's difficult when you know you spent forty million on him in that summer. Could he have used him instead of say a Dan James or? Paul Pogba or you know uh, you know Fred or Scott McTominay I don't know I mean that's obviously up to the manager but I felt like it was a, a decent you know response anyway um, but really my, my sort of focus was Grealish and just I, I basically I'm, I'm a bit of a fanboy with Jack Grealish you know I've um, I was at Wembley when he played against Liverpool uh, and and Tim Sherwood uh, said that he had uh, befuddled uh, Brendan Rodgers um, and and just uh, so I've quite enjoyed watching him develop into a player of real substance, um, where I think he was, you know, a player of extreme skill. I think now he, he sees his games and sort of wrestles them to his will. And clearly, Manchester United are interested. I, I felt like it was an interesting um, sort of little chat that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had, and basically he was just saying, you know, you played really well. Um, and, and so I just drilled down into some of the numbers because I think people say, well, where would he fit in at United? And, and you know, I think Andy mentioned earlier the the right wing slot, and I know that he doesn't play there for Aston Villa he actually played number 10 uh, but he does play on the left a lot of the time and his sort of touch map 
that from the game was both left and right flank and he clearly can he, he likes to drift into wide areas so I don't think it's too much of a leap to think he could actually you know be one of United's wingers perhaps um, and listen I'm not trying to sell Aston Villa fans I've already had to go on Twitter, fair enough, you know, for trying to sell their, their captain. Uh, I'm just sort of projecting it in a way that is realistic in football terms. You know, a player of Grealish's ability would want to play in the Champions League. So if United are offering that and Aston Villa aren't, it's a, it's a decision for him if United come up with the, the money. You know, if is a big question because they obviously didn't do it last summer. What what's to change this summer is worth more now. You know, he signed a new contract. Obviously, the question is about Paul Pogba. You know, would they be able to sell him and, and put the money into the equation? So basically, the piece is about that, um, and it, it does have a few numbers to keep down. Fletcher happy um, in terms of Jack Grealish offering <laughs> something different to what United have got. So, for example, he uh, carries the ball on average 291.3 metres. Uh, I, I, can you tell that I've got the piece right in front of me reading uh, off uh, my uh, laptop uh, here, uh, which is it's just basically a lot longer than any United players carried the ball on average. So, Paul Pogba is the highest for United, 195. So it's you know almost 100 meters more from Grealish per game that he carries the ball, and I'm not saying that is something to cherish you know necessarily, but you can see how that might fit you know if United need to get the ball up the pitch late on in a game to, to seal out a game to seal out a win or, or a draw or whatever, um, that then he could be that that person and he doesn't give the ball away as much as say Fernandez or even uh, Kevin De Bruyne. He, he obviously still creates you know he's, he's top of the charts for chances created and uh, chances per 90 so that was kind of what the piece is so I, I don't think I've given absolutely everything away then it's still something to read for, for the people that haven't yet subscribed and fancy clicking and going on so yeah please do if you've got the time it's definitely worth checking out especially because uh, Jack Grealish has entered that really fun zone where if you cover up his name and you show some of the sets you'd go oh it's Eden Hazard he's that good uh, another piece we've got on The Athletic this is from Anthony Hay and I recommend every single Manchester United fan give this one a read if only because it's really funny um Anthony Hay spent all of Tuesday looking at all 26 penalties Manchester United were awarded since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in and went is this a penalty or not you can see which players on Manchester United are particularly hard for defenders to stop and also see what Bruno Fernandes is really good at doing when uh, United need a penalty I won't give any more away I think that's all from Talk of Devils this week Thanks for joining us for our very first episode of 2021. We're quite sorry that unfortunately Manchester United couldn't make it to a final. But don't worry, they're going to win the Premier League anyway. Other than that, it's goodbye from Laurie. Goodbye, guys. Cheers for listening, everybody. And goodbye from Andy. Cheers, everybody. Until next time. And it's goodbye from me. Thank you for listening to Talk of the Devils. We'll be back sometime next week.